What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 28 of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. As always, I'm your host, Derek Bittner, and I'm joined once again by Ash Paulson. And uh, we're going to keep it pretty short this week, probably around 45-ish minutes, because, well, I'm running low on time, Ash is running low on time, and Andre's, of course, working on Zelda, <laughs> so, which has kind of been the common theme of this week. Actually, it's kind of funny. I- I've started seeing a lot of people wondering if I've killed Andre or stuffed him somewhere since... Uh, Nobody's really heard from him for a few weeks, but I can guarantee you, I talk to him on a daily basis. He's alive. He's just busy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how how you could really correctly describe working that much on the same analysis as being alive, but he is he is <laughs> breathing at least. Yeah, he's semi conscious. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, enough that he can go through with it. But yeah, he is just been going over and you can imagine with analysis like a regular analysis i like i change one thing i have to go back to previous points and make it fit and it can get really tricky and to me do that with a project that big there's a reason it's taken this long i did actually suggest that andre as a reward to kind of reward himself for finishing the analysis i suggested he start a super mario sunshine stream and i'm like look at it this way Nothing could be as bad as doing that analysis, right? So actually, maybe it'll make you appreciate Mario Sunshine more. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You might just make a bad time worse for him. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably. Knowing him in that game. Yeesh. Um, but yeah, what have you been up to this past week? Um, well, I've been really just working. I've been trying to steal what little gaming time I can. Um, I have been doing these discussions with uh, Pete for Gamescom, which is pretty cool. He's been covering Gamescom for us, and that's been fun. As far as what I've been playing, uh, man, I did finally finish the single-player campaign of Rhythm Heaven Megamix. It's surprisingly long. Um, I didn't, I wasn't really expecting it to be as long as it was, but uh, great game. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I think I enjoy the structure of Rhythm Heaven Fever more, but Megamix has so much content. I mean, it is the definitive Rhythm Heaven game, so... Uh, I did finally finish that. I did go back and finish Meta Nightmare Returns uh, oh, nice. in Kirby Planet Robobot. You know, I kind of abandoned that halfway through for whatever reason, and uh, I was really surprised to see Dark Matter make it make an appearance in a way, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I love the kind of the throwback to Kirby's Dreamland too. That that was awesome. Yeah. And then um, what else? Let's see. Oh, I did I did do the Game and Watch for Abzu, and I have since finished Abzu because it's only about an hour long if you play straight through it. Oh, jeez. Uh, it's very much like Journey in that sense. You know, it's it's a short but very emotional kind of you know art house experience. Um, it is. It has to be seen to be believed in terms of the visuals. Like, I'm not sure if I've ever seen a more beautiful ocean in any video game. Like, it really is the oceanic equivalent of Journey in terms of just the art style and and how the visual, how there's how there's so many metaphors for the visuals and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, great game. Yeah. Well, it's it's a great game if you're into art house stuff. If you're not, <laughs> yeah. probably not well, for you. Why? Well, well, yeah. I, I did enjoy Journey. I'm not sure if I'll pick up Abzu, but Journey was great. And what I saw saw of your Game & Watch of Abzu, it, it, it did look truly gorgeous. It really is. I would say that it, it, it isn't quite as good a game as Journey is, which is saying a lot because Journey already isn't you know the most <laughs> game-like game. So it, it definitely kind of puts the focus on story and visuals even more than Journey did. So... You know, yeah, if you're not into the whole art house thing, probably not for you. But if, if you're prepared for that kind of experience, there's really nothing else like it. So I, I enjoyed my time with it, and I'm and I would still want to go back through and do a quick second playthrough just to get what I missed because there are little collectibles to get. Oh, so nice. yeah, cool. Yeah, that doesn't sound so bad. I uh, I've been working on uh, mostly Federation Force this week. 
Right. Which, which uh, <laughs> yeah, you posted your review uh, right at the embargo, and as you predicted, you know, you, you thought people might not be too happy with the fact that you really liked it. I actually have been pleasantly surprised with the general reaction to my review, especially leading in the lead up to it, and especially the videos that I was posting. Like, oh, here's my little gameplay and all that kind of thing. Like, here's a little sneak peek at what the game's like. Uh, just seeing them get uh, thumbs downs, you know, wasn't. It was a little discouraging. Like, it doesn't. Like, in the grand scheme, the down votes don't affect us in any way other than people just showing disapproval for the video. And, and I realize it's not disapproval at, at us. It's disapproval at the game itself. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's sort of that weird thing you have to separate. So I'm like, oh, man, you know, you, you put all of this effort into a review and you're like, oh, is this going to get downvoted just because it's because it is a federation force. Yeah. But I, I was pleasantly surprised. There, you know, there is quite a bit of dislikes, but nowhere near the amount I thought. Usually it's almost even between likes and dislikes with those types of videos and that's not the case for the review so I do really greatly appreciate that I'm glad people are taking a look at what I do and you know and whatnot and I'm, I'm kind of known especially compared to Andre to being at times too forgiving to games like right. I, I, I'm not as harsh a critic as uh, Andre can tend to be um, but I still think I, I stand by what my you know my thoughts on this game. I do think it was a lot of fun. I had a blast playing it with uh, Stephen Totillo of Kotaku because uh, we were mostly teamed up on that game. I played a little bit of single player. I played a little bit of three player action with him and Nintendon, but most of it was uh, two player with Stephen Totillo. And uh, we just would get in a groove, or we'd have these hard moments where we just come out of there and be like, "Okay, that didn't work." You bring this, I'll bring this, you know, we'll use these mods, we'll figure out what we need to do, how we're going to go through this. And it became engaging because each mission was different in each one, you know, really challenged you to find ways. And the thing is, I saw a couple other reviews saying how the missions aren't that different. And that's the thing. You could boil, if you boil it down to the most basic elements, yeah, the missions can seem similar to you because you're just shooting all the time and you're just going through smaller areas. But I think what you were doing in those missions, what they were making you do with those tool sets that you always had, is what made it feel so different to me. And I think that's why I enjoyed the variety just so much. That is the thing I will praise that game the most of. Uh, there are, I believe, 22 missions in total, and maybe one or two I didn't enjoy as much or thought weren't as creative. Wasn't it twenty eight missions? No, that I was thought, that oh, Nintendo okay. thought there was twenty eight. He heard it somewhere, but no, it's oh, only, gotcha. It's only twenty two missions, and then when uh, once you beat the campaign, uh, you unlock hard mode. Which uh, the only way they increase the difficulty there is um, by d- doubling the damage you take. Uh, oh, okay, which can well, get tricky, you- but. Yeah. You say you had a blast, but I think you meant that you had a blast ball, am I right? <laughs> no, because I don't like blast ball. <laughs> no, I know. Blast ball was boring. Uh, I just had to fill the Andre pun role since he's not here. <laughs> we, well, we gotta. We definitely yeah. have to. But yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, I completely get if the game's not for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, if the game's not for you, the game's not for you. I'm not going to say you have to play it in order to say for sure. If you can look at this game and think, no, this isn't worth my time, great. You know that, that then don't waste your money if it doesn't look like you'll enjoy it. But if you have any kind of inkling or are kind of curious about it, I think it is worth checking out. Well, I mean that's kind of the conclusion I came to. You know, because I played it at various uh, preview events before the game came out, and I was kind of telling you and Andre that I'm like, you know, 
the game is fine. I, I and I'm, I might have ended up liking it as much as you did had I played the full version. But you know what I played at the demo events, I was like, you know, this is a well-made game. This is a fine game. I think its biggest crime is coming out when it did, mm-hmm. because you know, honestly, I think if this had come out in the midst of a bunch of other Metroid games and the series was healthy, I think people would have been fine with it. And it would have been taken as kind of a weird, wacky spinoff. Maybe not for everybody, but it wouldn't have angered people like it did, mm. like it has. But, you know, it's a shame, too, because I've watched your review, and I thought it was a great review, and I was actually really impressed by um, just how how well, not well-researched the story is, but I should say how in-universe Federation Force actually feels. Like, it actually feels like it, it pays proper homage to what came before story-wise in Prime 1, 2, and 3 and actually sets things up for a sequel. So I actually do feel like, even though it initially felt to me like this was a, a game that they just decided to slap the Metroid name on to sell more copies, it actually does feel like a, an in-universe Metroid game when you get right into it. It totally does. I mean, they, they you do feel like you're in this world of Metroid. It has all the similar things. There, you know, the Federation builds off that, all of that, and I think it gets stronger with those connections as you go on and see the space pirates and see what they're up to and what they're working toward, uh, and then just having those experiences. And I, you know, I've I've told you about the final boss, and I'm not going to spoil it here. Uh, right. I've seen people, of course, find out what the final boss is. I'm, maybe thanks to our video that we posted or anything like that, and of course having varying reactions. I will say it's easy to make fun of, but I it does work within the context of Federation Force. They build to that moment. Sure. And, you know, it, it worked for me. I mean, that might, of course, my initial thought as soon as I saw this is like, oh my God, that is amazing. People are going to be pissed. <laughs> uh-huh. That's you know when you showed me, I was like, oh, or when you told me about it, I'm like, oh my god, like the the salt on the internet is going to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It totally is, and you know, you know, it's going to be easy to take that out of context and make it seem like the worst thing ever, but whatever, you know, it, it, it's yeah. sort of its own thing. And uh, you know, I again, Federation Force, I I agree with you. If it had came out at the same time as another Metroid game. Uh, it probably would have been much better received by the general uh, Metroid fans. Um, and the thing is, did you play Hunters? Uh, I did, yeah. I, I played through all the way through Hunters, and, you know, I enjoyed it moderately. How how I heard Hunters it plays differently than a normal Metroid Prime game, doesn't it? Well, it did in the, in the fact that you used the stylus for aiming, which, mm-hmm. you know, back then, I guess, was considered kind of unique, but... You know, looking back on it, it probably wasn't that great. But otherwise, it's ba- you know, it is essentially a Metroid game. I mean, no, because you've got the you've got the story focus on the other hunters. You know, you don't have that sense of isolation that you do with so many other Metroid games because you've got the story that focuses on these rival bounty hunters. And you know, it, it kind of feels like a, a kind of a side story spinoff. I I wouldn't say. I mean, I guess it gets the job done in terms of looking like Metroid Prime, but I wouldn't say that it feels, you know as Metroid as the main Prime games do. Okay. See, I've never played it because it just didn't look all that interesting to me. And I, it sounded like, I don't know, playing with the stylus seemed like a pain in the butt from everything yeah. I read about it at the time. So I just didn't bother. But I think Hunters is the best comparison for this game. If you, Oh, I think so too. If you enjoyed Hunters, and it's it's the same sort of side story that that was, the only difference is you don't play as Samus. And, you know, that's what it is you know <laughs> yeah which i think you know honestly i think that unfortunately is the deal breaker for some people for a lot of people just the fact that you don't play a samus which i get but at the same time you know i do think that they're at least based on what i played and especially going off of your review 
there is a good solid game underneath the fact that you, that it is not the traditional Metroid experience that fans expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like seeing the Federation expanded upon. Usually, we just see them show up and die, or uh, right. something something like that. To see them be competent and see what they're capable of, and you know, show the struggle against the space pirates. You know, it, it means something, and they do show. Just how much better Samus is than you? <laughs> you know, yeah, she. Yeah, there is no doubt about this. There is there is never <laughs> any question that Samus is better than you during this yeah. game. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about, so I, I completely agree. And you know, it's funny. I, I forgot it. I had forgotten about this, but I went back and read a, a few interviews with Kinsuke Tanabe, the uh, producer of the Metroid Prime series, mm-hmm. and he actually had uh, discussed how he wanted to go and kind of shed some light on on the Galactic Federation and what they do in order to kind of expand on a story that he had in mind for a mainline Prime sequel. And, of course, we see that in a teaser at the end of Federation Force. So, you know, even though the Metroid series has lain dormant, you know, for the past several years, uh, except for Other M, which is, you know, that's his own thing, it does seem like they're kind of sticking to the roadmap or the the vague roadmap that that Tanabe talked about in his interview in terms of kind of having a game that focuses on the Federation Force to then kind of fold that into a, a possible Prime 4. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know we had a video about that today that you, if you're curious more about a, what that what's all going into that and how it ties into a potential Metroid Prime 4. But I think the series is, you know, they, they I don't know why it took so long, but I guess they were just sort of building to it or trying to convince Nintendo to let them do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just taken a while because well other m did not do well and uh yeah yeah but well i gotta say i i do have a friend who's a huge metroid fan and he's he's one of the very few metroid fans that i know personally who's actually not having the knee-jerk negative reaction he's actually open to something experimental so he's like you know i think i'm gonna get it and i wasn't gonna buy it for full price initially but if he gets it i'm thinking maybe we'll just play through the campaign co-op together oh totally and that could be fun yeah and i think you'll have fun with just how challenging that can be yeah, the game can I, I, yeah. be very difficult at times. Yeah, I, I've seen that in videos and in your review, and that doesn't surprise me based on what I played. You know, at the various demo events, it felt like it, get, it could get pretty challenging. Yeah, I, I will say I, I did help some people out on earlier missions after I gotten farther, and returning to those early missions with the loadout I have because the only way you actually get more powerful, you like you don't get more health or anything like that, but you can hold more of the sub weapons. And once right. you have a better idea of how the game plays, I'm going through and I'm just destroying everything. Like nice. I'm having no issues. Like you really do feel more powerful. It's definitely the kind of game where once you once you've learned a mission and you come back with more weapon slots, you can run it. You know, you can memorize where enemies come out, run it super quickly, and improve your times. Yeah, it is. It's it does fit the Metroid tradition of speed running or yeah. doing something quickly at the very least. So, anyway, uh, that's pretty much what I've been up to. A few other things right here and here and there. I do think I want to try to go see Kubo and the Two Strings this weekend because I've heard really good things about it. I have two. Uh, I, I really want to see that. And I actually, I think my wife and I would be going to see that tonight, if not for another movie that I'm instead going to see, which is King's Blade tonight. At oh. least I think I'm going to. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard mixed things about that. You know, I've heard, I've heard negative reviews from actual movie critics, but I've heard pretty much positive reviews from either Final Fantasy fans or video game critics. So to me... You know that that says that it's going to be enjoyable in this end, much the same way Advent Children was. If you're a fan, if you're invested in the story, if you know, if you're kind of down with what Final Fantasy is, 
this seems like it would be an enjoyable movie. Of course, I won't know until I see it, mm-hmm. and I might not actually, you know, we have tickets, but some stuff has come up that might actually preclude me from going, unfortunately, but if and when I see it, I'll be better prepared to talk about how good it actually was. Yeah, we can definitely find that out hopefully next week and see what you think, but it is it is a different situation than Anvan Children when you're building off characters we already know about, and these characters we really don't know that well yet. Because That's the, true. The They're actually out. still doing the world building as opposed to having an already established world to, to work with. Mm-hmm. Well, going off that, we'll jump into the news. And the first bit of news we have is that the $270 Final Fantasy XV Collector's Edition doesn't include the season pass. In addition, the game has been confirmed to be delayed until November. Oh, right. Of course, yeah. I, I think I've taken that delay. I'm so used to it already that I didn't realize it <laughs> Didn't even register? still news, but it is actually news. Yeah. So, you know, this, man, Square, they, well, you know, the Square Enix tax, I mean, that's something that we have known about for years. Square just likes to charge a premium for their games. You know, you usually, I'd say you get value out of Square Enix's games, but they do charge a pretty penny for for those experiences. And I'm already not going for the $270 collector's edition of FF15. I mean, Mm -hmm. I am excited about the game, super excited, but I don't need a play art statue of Noctis, especially Mm -hmm. because I don't even know how much I like Noctis yet. So I am going for the deluxe edition, which I think is like 90 or 80 bucks. Um, It comes with the art book and stuff like that. But, oh man, spending 270 bucks on this and then having to buy the season pass, that... Yeah, yeah. Man, for, for another know. thirty bucks, yeah, <laughs> that's just uh, that that reeks of highway robbery to me. I'm not yeah. saying that the game won't be worth it, but that's just already so much money that you're already investing into one game. Yeah, and there's very few season passes that I've ever seen that actually are, seem worthwhile at the, in the end. So yeah, who, now to, to be clear, I do plan on purchasing the season pass by itself, just not on top of the collector's edition that's almost $300. Well, let's, let's put it down this let's put it this way. If you're already plopping down $270 for this game, what's another 30 bucks? That's a, that's another fair way to look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not great. Obviously, it should be included, but I don't think the people who I think the people who are spending this amount of money on that edition probably don't I mean, they're probably a little miffed, but what's again, what's another $30? Right. But as far as the delay, I I'm honestly kind of grateful for it because I was looking at September and realizing oh god there's so much (laughs) well I am really glad that this gives A it gives Persona 5 room to breathe in Japan which is always nice and it it also gives Shantae uh, Hachini Hero room to breathe because that Mm -hmm. game originally was coming out right on the cusp of Mm FF15 and not, not that the two games are comparable in any way but still, Shantae already needs as much help as he can get to stand out. Yeah. And to be overshadowed by Final Fantasy would suck. And the same with Dragon Quest VII and all that. that too. All these other smaller games now have room to sort of stand out a little bit more for September, which is which is great for them. And I actually really like the reason they gave for delaying the game. It's like they want to put the, the what would have been day one uh, a day one patch onto the disc. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think you know, assuming that is you know the real reason, I think that's fair. And and whatever the reasons, even if it is to be fair, let's let's be honest. Even if it is to optimize the game because it's not quite ready to go, that's fine too. I'd rather the game be released when it's ready. The only thing here is that they did give the game give give Final Fantasy XV's release date its own press event, which makes mm-hmm. them look really foolish when they end up not meeting that date. However. A game should always be released when it's ready and not a moment sooner, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm okay personally with the delay. I just I recognize how bad it makes both Square and FF15 look not to meet the date they set for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate in that way, but honestly, I, 
kind of forgot about that event and you know I, oh, well, I, 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 that, maybe because I went yeah. I, I didn't forget about I, it I, I, well I, I absorbed all the information from it but then it was like okay that was an event let's get to the game itself but right, they, right but you're right they did make a huge deal about it and they were building up to that fact and you know it makes sense to sort of hold them to that regard but, I, I'll, but I'm like you you know right. let's get the game ready I'm I'm, I'm Excited for it, but I'm also not exactly sure what I'm in for when I get the game. So it's going to be very interesting to play 15 when it comes out. Now, granted, it also is coming out a week after Pokemon Sun and Moon. Oh, no, that's which, true. That'll be, oh, yeah. I feel terrible, especially for you, because you're going to be you know doing the review and the guides and whatnot for Sun and Moon. So mm. that's going to be rough. Yeah, I mean, 15 is going to be something I'm just going to have to try to play on, on my free time, because... Uh, I mean, so yeah, at the end of the day, same here. I'm so hyped for 15, and I am I really am enthusiastic about it, but who knows how much time we'll have to play it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, next bit of news, which is actually kind of funny. Um, <laughs> a French mayor decrees that Pokemon Go is banned from his village because Neontic didn't ask permission to do business there, which I have not heard of this story, but just the title itself just makes me like... Okay, <laughs> you know, uh, sure thing. Uh, wow, you you banned it. Good for you. It's it's, pre- it's pretty wild. <laughs> like, I I just want to talk to this guy and like kind of just give him a, a light sl- slap. Like, wait, do you understand how these things work? Like, why do you think Niantic would ask permission? From the mayor of a small French village or small village anywhere. Well, the game, like, just if he had to ask permission for every place they yeah. put something, you know, the game would have come out for another 10 years because just wait and get all that stuff. It's ridiculous, like, how much of that it is. And granted, you know, there have been stories about how Pokemon Go and the players can be disruptive because of the locations they visit, but to. Give the reason it's because they didn't get ask permission to do business. It's what, especially yeah. since Go was proven to bring business to various exactly. locations. So. Well, if you if you look at the story and you see some of this guy's quotes, it becomes a little clear that he's he seems to have a bit of a power ego trip problem because yeah. he's talking about how he's like you know it's putting people in my town at risk and and he's worried that uh he feels pokemon go is contagious and, and could lead youngsters to forming a dangerous addiction and he doesn't want pe- groups of people forming at night i mean he sounds like he just wants to have complete control over his <laughs> little like, slice of the world and it's like dude you know are we looking what, at a hot yeah. fuzz situation <laughs> it kind of sounds like it doesn't it you know the greater good yeah the greater good <laughs> it really does seem like it though because this guy see yeah he just seems completely out of touch with the way these things work and also, maybe ask the 800 people who live in your village if they want to play it, because you can't just put a village-wide ban on something just because you don't like it. Yeah, I, I'm not totally familiar with French politics, but I have a well, yeah, that's, that's not, not the case, but that much, I, I don't know. That's just kind of funny to me, but... Uh, <laughs> well, he, he also actually calls it, he calls the game, he, he calls the anarchical settlement of Pokemon Go. Oh he's, he's comparing Pokemon Go to anarchy. <laughs> right? Uh... God. Gotta love that. Yeah, you need to have a good laugh sometime. Yeah, sometimes. Well, anyway, um, going back to anger on fans' parts, uh, fan <laughs> fans' parts. Uh, Konami has revealed the existence of Metal Gear Survive, a four-player co-op game with Metal Gear Solid Five gameplay that takes place in an art- in an alternate timeline where you fight crystalline zombies. So, you know, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. The, the thing is, I've seen from a lot of people on the reactions to this, I watched the trailer myself, and I'm like, okay, this looks silly, but then you think about past Metal Gear Solid games and 
side modes and all that other stuff. And the series has been silly to begin with. So I don't think, I think the idea of this game is fine on its own. You know, I think it could work, but it's also not something that feels like it should be a, a game on its own. It feels like it should be a, you know, a special mode, sort of like how Call of Duty handles their zombies and right. has that kind of thing. Um, and then there's all, but there's also the fact that this is Konami without Kojima doing this game. What are we in for? <laughs> Again, it, it, it's a thing of timing. Like, you know, if, if everything hadn't gone down the way it did with MGS5 and Kojima and Metal Gear was healthy and Konami was, hadn't just jumped the way or jumped the shark, basically. I think people would be down with this. It's just a matter of that this comes after the big public falling out with Kojima, after MGS5 was released, essentially unfinished in terms of its story. Then we get this, and it's like, okay, this is... It, it just makes it seem like Konami is completely tone deaf. That said, <laughs> I have read into it a little more, and it, it does seem like they're releasing the game as kind of an experiment on the level of Ground Zeroes. So I don't think it actually is going to be a $60 retail game. I think they're oh, okay. releasing it uh, at $30, bucks, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken. See, in that case... I have no issues with this game. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not what I want out of Metal Gear, but I, if that's how they're going to release it and they're looking at it as kind of an experimental type thing, you know, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, I never even played the regular Metal Gear Solid Five, so... Me neither. I, I mean, it's, again, it's one of those games I want to, because I'm, I'm a big Metal Gear fan. It's just, again, I, I have to create time, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. Yeah, I, I heard stories, I heard about the incomplete plot, and I'm like, you know, I think I'm just good with leaving my Metal Gear Solid experience ending at four. Yeah, that's you know that's another good way to put it, because, you know, it did end, if, if not on a convoluted note, it, it ended on a, on a okay note in, in NGS4, and I just feel like going back with, you know, a story that really seemed like, you know, the trailers for NGS5, and it seemed like this was going to be... Kojima's magnum opus in terms of storytelling and it didn't seem to really pan out that way so I kind of feel the same way as you as I I do want to go and play it but I'm also okay with leaving my Metal Gear story experience how it is Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll see how it is when it comes out but if it is only a $30 title I have no issues it'll fill its niche and that'll be that (laughs) yeah And, and I mean considering the timing Nintendo has to be thrilled that that they announced this right before they released Metroid Prime Federation Force. Because, I mean, <laughs> it's all relative, right? I mean, Federation Force may not be what Metroid fans wanted, but Metal Gear Survive really isn't what Metal Gear fans wanted. <laughs> yeah. Well, Metal Gear fans want Kojima, and that's just never going to yeah, happen. Yeah, that's a good point. So, oh well. Well, along with that, we also got uh, some new Pokemon revealed at Gamescom and at the Pokemon World Championship that's going on right now. Uh, we have our uh, Tordinator and um, uh, Crabrawler, I believe, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and then the others that were shown off were that during the Korokoro Magazine reveal. And, you know, I've done videos for both of them, and I think uh, b- both look interesting. I'm not sure if they'll all integrate either into my team, but it is kind of interesting to see a crab Pokemon be pure fighting. You know, you're so used to seeing crab Pokemon yeah. be part water, so... That was kind of ah man, I I don't know. I really as as excited as I am about Sun and Moon, I'm really divided on these new Pokemon. Some of them I really enjoy, but man, the rest of them I really don't. And there's really no middle ground so far. Like I either really like them or I hate them. <laughs> and and Crabrawler definitely falls on the hate side. Really, feeling, I love this ah, thing. Sorry, I'm not feeling it. He he kind of falls on the same uh, in the same kind of tier as uh, Beware for me. I just don't... Yeah, and the Sandcastle Pokemon, again, I'm not feeling that either. I'm oh. kind of getting like a Chandelure 
Did you read it? Did you read its uh, bio yet? No, I've not. Okay, I've not read it. It is pure classic (laughs) creepy Pokemon. Okay, how that that might redeem it. The evolved form. Well, basically the um, uh, the regular form, the first form. I haven't learned the names yet off the top of my head, so I'm still getting there. But basically, its pre-evolved form is uh, is formed from the ill will left over from. basically losers in various battles, whether they're creatures or anything like that, and their ill will gets formed into the sand and actually creates this Pokemon. And then its evolved form has that sort of vortex ability where it can trap small Pokemon within its body in order to consume their life energy. That's amazing. And the lingering ill will from them is what could could also create another thing. So basically killing these other Pokemon is also how it breeds. All right, you're right. That is classic, creepy, like Generation 1 Pokedex entry status yeah. right there. They so, made a okay, sandcastle. That totally redeems it for me. They made a sandcastle terrifying. They talked about how the pre-evolved form, like if a child grabs a hold of its shovel, it can possess <laughs> the child and compel them to sort of build it up and get it, make it stronger and make the sandcastle itself bigger. That is awesome. Okay, all right. I'm I'm a fan of the Sandcastle Pokemon now. You you sold me on it, and I have to say I also like Turtonator. Turtonator, actually, I do like its design as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I do like that one. It kind of reminds me, actually, of this is a completely random uh, uh, reference, but it kind of reminds me of Rainy Turtleoid from Mega Man X Six in terms of the way it stands. Oh yeah. With a shell to the player. So yeah, it's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's it's a pretty cool design. It doesn't. I mean, it's we actually have our first. Uh, fire dragon type that's uh, not a special evolution and like uh, Charizard is, so it doesn't need to mega evolve or a legendary. So that's cool in and of itself. Um, again, not sure if I'll actually use it because I don't know. It, it's a fine design, but it's not not one of like I have to have this in my team. That kind right. of thing. But um, yeah, I mean, it was. You know, these are I, I. I still feel like the most of the designs are really strong. Or if the designs maybe aren't doing it for me, the backstories are really good too. I love some of this, like what these these some of these Pokemon are all about. They, right. you know, they may they become more interesting in that way. But. No, I totally agree. Like, I mean, even even if they're not visually appealing, or you don't want to have them on your team, just reading about how they work in the in the weird, wacky world and ecosystem of Pokemon is a lot of fun. Because you have to imagine, with all 800 or so now of these creatures having their own biological cycles and all the crazy things they do, you think now that just walking outside in the world of Pokemon, you'd either be instantly in danger or in awe of all the natural phenomena going on around you <laughs> at any given moment. Pokemon's a scary world if you take into like the real world. I'll tell it you really what. is. I, you know, there's also another disturbing line reading about uh, Crabrawler. Um, so basically, it talks about how when it's fighting, its pincers could actually break off uh, during during the fights, and it makes a special note to say, apparently, the meat is really delicious. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's talking about how you can eat this Pokemon's pincers. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know? Very nice. I'm like, I'm not a fan. I'm not a big fan of seafood to begin with. I'm like, I, I just kind of like. I don't like the idea of eating a Pokemon. <laughs> but, I mean, I have to say, I, I've kind of had that feeling about, like, Taurus and, and Miltank. It's like, okay, these are cow and bull Pokemon. I mean, wh- do the people of Pokemon just not eat meat? Or do regular animals exist alongside Pokemon, <laughs> and they're the ones that get sacrificed? 
but the Pokemon are safe. Like, I always wondered how that works. We don't know. The, the, the I tell you what, the anime is what makes it confusing. Like, at the... the the games make it pretty consistent that these are wild animals, but mm-hmm. the anime makes them seem so intelligent that like I can't yeah. imagine harming these things. You know? Exactly. It's like I, I don't I don't want to capture a Taurus just to you know slaughter it and eat it. <laughs> That's uh... especially a Miltank. Miltank's adorable. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I, I just it's just crazy, but yeah, but that's that's creepy Pokemon stories for you. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, well, last bit of Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon. It seems last bit of Pokemon information uh, or news topic is that Pokemon tournament has shipped over one million copies worldwide, which is pretty dang impressive for a Wii U title. I mean, honestly, considering the fact that it is it is exclusive to a, what is essentially a failed console, the fact that it hit one million really speaks to the power of the Pokemon brand, and it's not exactly the most approachable game either for newcomers. Uh, to a degree, yeah. I mean, this isn't sort of the game that you'd expect most Pokemon players to play, but I think it is sort of it does straddle that line between simple to pick up, kind of hard, difficult to master type thing. Yeah, that's true. And and, and uh, I do want to point out, though, that P- Pokemon Tournament has shipped over 1 million copies. If you compare that to Street Fighter V, which has shipped, one point, as far as I understand it, 1.4 million copies. And that's across both PS4 and PC. Think about that. That Pokemon <laughs> Tournament has been able to really hold its own against the latest Street Fighter title. Now, of course, Street Fighter V has, has had its own share of issues that have held it back. But that's across both PS4 and PC. And yet, Pokemon Tournament has also has almost matched that on Wii U alone. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's that doesn't make sense to me. I you know I, I certainly played Pokemon Tournament more than <laughs> Street Fighter Five. I know you did. Yeah, I mean Street Fighter Five. I like I played the story mode. I played a little bit of there, but I like I, I missed the arcade. Arcade mode is how I learn these characters, and I feel like I can't properly learn the characters. So I go online and get absolutely absolutely destroyed. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's it's a shame because there's stuff to really like about Street Fighter Five, but it's just not hitting those notes for me. Yeah, no, I understand. So, oh well. But yeah, good for Pokemon Tournament. It's been a while since I played that, but I kind of got my fill when I played it at the time. But, you know, there's potential for that, the more DLC since we know Dark Rye is coming. So Exactly. And and the, there are those two other Pokemon that were hinted at in some of the game's, uh, you know, patch code. Yeah. Patch data. I forget so, them off the top of my head. I think one of them was Empoleon. But, yeah, um, one of them was Empoleon. I think the other was Scythe. No, Caesar. Caesar. yeah. Caesar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd actually be down with both of those Pokemon. I think those are both really great additions, if, if they are actually going to be in the game. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it'd be, it'd be really cool to see them in action. And, you know, this is the type of game that you would want to see DLC to have more characters, because there's just not a lot of characters in Pokemon Tournament. Yeah, no, there really aren't. So, yeah, the more the better. Yep. So that takes care of the news for this week, but uh, let's go ahead and jump over to our topics. Man, it feels like we're just flying by with this. I know. Well, <laughs> we did We did provide that disclaimer. Yeah, we did. But, well, uh, as always, every week you guys can offer up uh, your topics. If you're as long as your Patreon backer, that's just $1 a month. And uh, get you early access to the podcast three days early on every Friday. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing it. That's all right. It's been a long day. It has been, it's been a long week, not just a long day. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Ash, what's your topic? So my topic comes uh, from Sean Garrett, who says, uh, Hey, guys, uh, just letting you know my wife and I had our baby a little over three months ago. So first of all, congratulations yeah, to both you congrats. and your wife. 
That is awesome. And uh, he says it's the best thing in the world. And I don't doubt that for a second. So again, <laughs> congratulations to you. And uh, anyway, he says uh, his question is, what are our thoughts on the whole IGN and Sonic, uh, the whole, whole thing between IGN and the Sonic fan base or the Sonic franchise? And what do you think would be a better way to go about this type of thing for other gaming sites? Uh, now, Derek, are you familiar with this? All I've really heard, because this is the sort of thing I look at, roll my eyes, and not even read about, you know, not even fully yeah. look into. Uh, but from what I understand is that somebody at IGN or during a discussion at IGN, they basically agreed that Sonic has never been good. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I watched a bit of that discussion just because I'd heard, I kept hearing about it, and I had to cringe my way through it because, I mean, why, I, I mean, I know we're all, you know, they're all game journalists. We're, you know, we're all colleagues in a sense. I don't want to call their, you know, call <laughs> their opinions into question, I guess. But at the same time, it just feels like Sonic is, and the Sonic fan base by extension, gets sucked into all this revisionist history where it's like, you know, people used to love these games, or at least the classic Sonic games, and now we're suddenly talking about how, well, Sonic was never good, and even the original trilogy was, you know, they aren't great games. And I'm like, man, this is getting kind of ridiculous. <laughs> like, I know Sonic has had problems, and I know there is a segment of the fan base that is psychotic in terms of, you know, how they really, really love, like, their Big the Cat and, you know, Cream the Rabbit and all these other weird characters. But Sonic was not always bad, and Sonic isn't bad now. Like, I just, man, like, I, I don't usually get upset over things like this because, again, they're all just opinions, no one's saying that anything the people at IGN are saying is fact. It's not. It's an opinion. But mm-hmm. it just seems to, to me to be a little irresponsible in terms – to just kind of hand wave away an entire franchise. And not only an entire franchise, but one of the most influential and important franchises that, that gaming has ever seen. So I just don't think it was the best way to go about it. Yeah, I mean IGN has always had ish, you know, issues with the Sonic fan base. Um Many times over the years, and just you know, they'll there'll be a game that's well liked amongst the Sonic community, and they'll give it a low rating, which immediately sets off the fan base. And again, it is a, a very much an opinion based thing. But like you, I can't agree with this opinion because Sonic Three and Knuckles is one of my favorite games. It is a fantastic God, yeah. game. I played the hell out of that and Sonic 2 there was there were some of my most vivid gaming memories and I've gone back and played them they're still good they are still exciting and absolutely fun and whatnot and you know granted who knows how that what their experiences were that led up to this point I have heard uh, some people say that just Sonic does nothing for them that like they uh, they, they it's all about going fast and and then the game doesn't facilitate that and then to me that in my mind that's not exactly how Sonic is uh, supposed to be played it's supposed to be a platformer that you can explore and go fast if you want because I right. didn't always like go crazy fast when I played those games I really didn't enjoyed have to. to explore and Sonic 3 and Knuckles really encourages, encourages exploring if you know where to go in the first level you can get like four of the four of the chaos emeralds within the first act <laughs> No, exactly. And and to me, I always felt that the speedy parts were almost kind of like a like a release, a reward for, you know, getting through a particularly tough platforming segment. Mm-hmm. I you know, Sonic has never been yes, Sonic himself is about speed, but Sonic's stages have not always been designed for pure speed one hundred percent of the time. And that's okay. They don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And, and and look, if you're one of those people for whom Sonic it just isn't for you, that's fine. 
But to, but to change that into hand waving away an entire franchise, I think is going way too far. And you know, the fact is, Sonic may not appeal to everybody, and that's cool. But in terms of of it being a platformer, especially the classic games, Sonic offers a style that isn't really emulated anywhere else. Mario doesn't capture it. Mega Man doesn't capture it. Shantae doesn't capture it. Shovel Knight doesn't capture it. Like, nothing quite captures the unique style and essence that Sonic has. I'm not saying that makes Sonic better than anything else. I'm just saying it makes it unique. And I don't think it's fair to just say, well, Sonic has never been good, and just to, to hand wave away all the wonderful music and visuals and kind of cool stage level designs that come with Sonic, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a... The, the thing is, the, the way I came in to accept Sonic and his weirder moments is that you have to accept the cheese. Sonic yeah. is very cheesy. He is filled with 90s <laughs> cheese. And exactly. It is, it's wonderful in that way. It is a throwback to a bygone area, and they've. it really seems like at times... Uh, Sega can really ta- ta- tap into that idea and just how crazy it is and really appeal to the um, the, the fan base that it has. And they, they've, they've shown that time and time again with the Sonic Hedgehog Twitter. And, you know, I, I again, I do not begrudge anybody uh, within IGN for those opinions. I don't know no. if they express them in the best way. But you know, I don't. Th- I don't agree with them, and that's that. That's very common. I've, you know, obviously people are against Federation Force. I don't agree with them, but I can sort of see where they're coming from. Yeah, and I that's mean, what it and, comes and, down and to. yeah, and 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 I would say my only point of advice to anyone really upset by this uh, is is the following, and that is. Yeah, they may work for IGN, and we may be, you know, at Game Explained, we may be game journalists, but that doesn't mean that we, are, that our opinions are somehow more valid than yours or more important than yours. Mm. If you disagree with what IGN said about Sonic, hell, so do I. It's okay. Disagree. At the end of the day, they're just gamers who happen to be paid to talk about video games and write about video games, and that makes them, you know, if you want to go to them as a source, of, as like an authoritarian source on video games, you can. But that doesn't mean that they somehow know more or that their opinions are more valid, just like ours. It doesn't make our opinions more valid. So mm-hmm. just enjoy what you like. Try not to get too caught up in what game journalists think of your favorite franchise. And just, you know, they're going to make Sonic games anyway. Sonic Mania is coming out regardless of what anyone at IGN or here or anyone else thinks. So just enjoy the hype. Look forward to Sonic Mania and enjoy the series on your own merits. Try not to get too angry about it. <laughs> exactly. As we, as we said before when we were talking about review scores in a previous podcast, it comes down to, you know, finding somebody that, that sort of kind of fits your opinion, fits your, what your, how you view things. And f- so for gamers that aren't fan of so- fans of Sonic, those IGN viewpoints are good. For example, if they do come across a Sonic game that they legitimately, legitimately like, that's a sign to non-Sonic fans that, hmm, maybe this is worth checking out. So they do have their, um, you know, they, they, they can be useful to people. It's not just an invalid opinion. Exactly. And there will be plenty of people out there. There already are plenty of other outlets out there who don't feel that way about Sonic and who will take each game on its own individual merits Regardless of however they feel the history of the franchise has been. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, yep. <laughs> I guess moving on to my topic, I chose one from Faith Sweat, who says, or asks, which game do you wish you could have the pleasure of playing again for the fir- playing for the first time all over again? And boy, is that a tough question. <laughs> Man, I mean, I, I feel like my answers are going to be the usual stock answers because of all my favorite games, but that is such a, a good question. It really is because, because uh, you know, 
obviously we can list off a few, like playing Kingdom Hearts for the first time, playing Super Mario Bros. 3 for the first time, Final Fantasy 7 and 9, and Chrono Trigger and Chrono yeah. Cross, and all these truly, truly great games. Uh, experiencing Final Fantasy Tactics. I have a long list of just these great games that I'd love to just have that feeling of going through and being shocked by everything. So there's a ton of games out there, and God, I wish I was able to just, like, if I could just, like, have that experience like that because you can, you can still get really happy playing through something again like you're experiencing that right now with Chrono Trigger I'm sure you're still having a blast experiencing these oh, things totally. again but it's not quite the same as that first time it'll never be the same and I mean I have very vivid memories of the night that I first got Chrono Trigger back when I was like 12 or 13 and I'll never forget it because it was one of the most influential games of my life and Man, but you know, it nothing can compare to that first time playing Chrono Trigger. And another game actually that I really wish I could experience again specifically for the first time is Ocarina of Time. Mm. Just because that I mean, if you were if you were if you're old enough like we are to have been alive when that game came out originally, you know that at the time that game was absolutely a revelation. I mean, 3D Zelda and and none of us knew just how authentic and amazing and incredible it was going to feel to explore a Zelda world in 3D. And, I mean, I remember taking my first steps into Kokiri Forest and, and exploring the Great Deku Tree, and I'm like, my mind was being literally blown at the time. <laughs> and the game has aged, you know, well enough, especially with the 3DS remake, but I've got a buddy who's actually playing Ocarina for the first time right now via the 3DS version, and he's kind of been keeping keep, keeping me in the loop in terms of his progress and kind of how he feels about each new dungeon. And so I'm kind of living his for his first time experiences vicariously through him. And it's been great fun because it reminds me of how it was how fun it was for me to discover everything in that game for the first time. Mm-hmm. So that is one that really stands out to me. It may not it may not have ended up my favorite Zelda game ultimately now, but it is one that I specifically wish I could experience the first time again. Yeah, you bring up a good point of like living vicariously through somebody's first time. I think that's why a lot of people enjoy watching me go do blind playthroughs of Thousand Year Door or yeah. Paper Mario 64 because they, they get to see my reaction, my fresh reaction to things that they've experienced before and they can see what's going on with there. And even me just tweeting about my just little observations about Ace Attorney when I was able to consistently play that game. <laughs> uh, right. And go through those series. People will always get excited like, oh, I can't wait till you get to this point. I can't <laughs> wait to see what you think about this. It, yeah. it is exciting to see other people experience and that's And I think that's why I love sharing my love for different games to other people and seeing what their reaction is and seeing how they're experiencing Because I, I feel the exact same way. If I see somebody experience something for the first time, it's like, oh, I can't wait till they get to this point. Yeah, no, I, I'm totally the same way. I mean, my wife played Chrono Trigger a few years ago, and I was, like, really enjoying kind of watching over her shoulder because I'm like, you know, where are you at and when, how do you feel about this? And she would talk to me about, like, you know, certain key plot moments. I'm like, this is great. I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a good time. It really is. So, so do do you have a specific game that you can, that you can think of that you like can point to that you really wish you could experience for uh, the first time again? For the first time again, uh, I have to give it to Final Fantasy VII because that's a good one. The, yeah, because that was what opened my eyes to the RPG RPG genre, which quickly became one of my favorite genres. It, it combined my love of games with my love of reading <laughs> and to, to combine those two and get this like crazy story and you know pulpy story of course but still a, a story that you really got into uh it was just it, that opened up a brand new world for me in terms of video games and to be able to experience that again would be amazing especially since it's hard to go back to it for me because i am 
an English major and to see all the <laughs> issues yeah, with too. the translation, like, like with just the way it's written, it's like, uh <laughs> No, it's like this guy are sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that drives me crazy. But no, no, I hear you. I mean, in the same vein, FF6 was the game that opened my eyes to RPGs. And prior to that game, I had never even... I don't think I'd ever even entertain the idea of actually really getting into a game for its story. I mean, there was Zelda, but, you know, the story had always been kind of secondary in Zelda, mm-hmm. even though it was there. But with Final Fantasy VI, I was like, whoa, there is this whole ensemble of cast of characters that feel like real people. I, I care about them. I'm following along in this interactive story. I want to see what happens. And it just completely opened my eyes to a completely different kind of thing that video games could be. Mm-hmm. And I, for that reason, wish I could uh, kind of experience FF6 again. Uh, as well as Chrono Trigger and especially Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I, I speaking of that before, I, I did have that sort of inkling even before that. Like there, were, you know, talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, I got really into the idea of the trilogy of Sonic the Hedgehog, of the, Me too. the classic, because I yeah. play through them and they do kind of build into one another and they do. sort of see the story expand off of that and like, especially with the epic conclusion of of, of and Knuckles, <laughs> you know. Oh and, man, with with everything culminating in Doomsday Zone, mm-hmm. like. That's still one of my favorite like moments in any 2D platformer ever, and I absolutely shudder with glee to think how Sonic Mania might possibly top that kind of 2D platforming epicness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I-, I can only imagine what the finale of Sonic Mania could be. I'm not saying it will be. I don't want to hype it up for no reason, but it could be Sonic 3 and Knuckles, but ratcheted up to like 100. Yeah, and that'd be great. So. Oh. <laughs> but- yeah. Yeah, I think that takes care of uh, the episode twenty-eight of the Game Explained Real Talk podcast. I want to—I do want to apologize for having this be shorter in the grand scheme of things. Though to be fair, we did go to fifty minutes. It's just if we yeah. didn't sort of rush ourselves, we probably could have stretched us out to a good hour twenty or something like that. But once again, thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it, and. Of course, if you want to get this three days earlier, early every Friday, just it's just one dollar a month, and you can offer up topics like the ones we just answered. Hopefully, more next week since uh, you know more time and all that. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you guys have a great one, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.